Thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com slash stories to share your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's Word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Help me welcome our online audience. Thank you for joining us. It's going to be a good one. And y'all can have a seat. Y'all glad to be here tonight? All right, don't, don't tell the, the weekend crew that I said this, but I really like the midweek crew. <laughs> you, you guys come hungry, you come expectant, you come ready to receive, and it, and it makes my job easier. Whoever's up here teaching or leading worship or whatever, you guys just are ready to go. And so it's, a, it's always a blast. If you're here with us for the first time tonight, my name's Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here, and it's always a privilege to be able to fill in uh, whenever Pastor Tim is out. He is healing day by day. He's continuing to get better and uh, strength returning, mobility returning. As he mentioned uh, Sunday, I think it's, I think it's this coming Monday, he should be getting his brace off. And so that, that, that'll be a, that's just a good step for him, uh, you know, because that thing's got to be uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> I know he's over it, but but I'm grateful to to just be a part of the team that that while he's been out and re- and recovering, that we've had a strong team be able to step up and and, and fill in. And um, are y'all enjoying Wednesday so far this year? It's been a cool opportunity to have you know our, our team of pastors really step in and rotate and shoulder this load. And so we've had Pastor Nick and Haran and Jordan and Sean, myself. In the weeks to come, we're going to have some other guys. Uh, Pastor Tim Nelson, who was just up here a few minutes ago, he'll be sharing in a few weeks. And I promise you're going to laugh. So, uh, but it's just cool. I love what God's doing here uh, in our midweek services. And we've, we've titled it Worth It. For the year of 2016, that is kind of our theme, Worth It. Because we believe that Wednesdays are what? Worth it. You invest one hour out of your week, and I believe that it can yield great fruit in your life. So, so thank you for being here tonight. I want to keep you reminded, we just wrapped our series on, on the weekends, The Missing Piece, uh, six-week series, very foundational, and I think all of us can use that at some time in our life. Uh, not just finding peace or having peace, but learning how we can truly keep peace. So if you missed that or if you want to go back and, and get caught up, you can go on our website, and that's available 24-7 in many forms. Uh, but this weekend, we're starting a new series called Holy Wow. Can you all say Holy Wow? Holy Wow. And uh, it's kind of a series on, on reverence. We're talking about what it means to approach a, a holy God in a very casual world. This is a very casual world in, in which we live. There's uh, honor and reverence, and those things are not what they used to be. And, and, and there's so much political correctness and things that get watered down. And, and I think it's important that we as a church know how to approach a very holy God. And so we're going to be talking about that for four weeks. That leads us right into the uh, Palm Sunday and Easter holiday, which I can't believe that that's already here again. And we've got some exciting things planned for those weekends. So make plans to be here for that. But I'm going to ask you this. Speaking of plans, how many of you have have plans? Okay, I'll I'll be more specific. I don't mean like dinner plans. I know some of you are already planning to get over to Cracker Barrel or Steak and Shake after church. But like how many of you in your life have ever like made plans or you've had ideas of what the future might look like? Right? All, all of us at some time or another, we have ideas or we envision what we hope uh, the coming season will look like. We make plans, and some of you even make action steps to, to, to get there. We look forward to what life can be like. But, but as we often learn, the way we envision things, some, sometimes when it actually arrives, it doesn't always look exactly how we initially envisioned it. 
It doesn't look like our, our original plan. Uh, when my wife and I were expecting our firstborn, Gavin, so many people told us being a parent is going to change your life. They, they, they say that nothing, nothing can prepare you for that moment when you first hold your baby, when you see that baby come into the world. And, you know, people could tell me that till they were blue in the face, but for real, I didn't get it till that moment when there was my son. You know, the miracle of childbirth, to experience that, and then just that feeling the first time you, you hold that child. It's incredible. And, and as we, uh, you know, you, when you have a baby, you're in the hospital for a few days. And so we were, you know, you, you get waited on, right? You, there's nurses coming in and, and they, they check in on you, make sure mom's comfortable, make sure uh, that the baby's good, even take the baby to the nursery so mom and dad can get some sleep. And, and uh, you know, you've got friends and family visiting, bringing balloons, flowers, gifts, even meals. And so it was almost like a little hotel stay, you know? Not quite as comfortable as a hotel. I was on a fold-out couch. But, you know, it's like you've got people waiting on you. And we're just on cloud nine and enjoying our, our baby. And then two days later, they, they wheel us out. We're, we're discharged. We get in our car. We get home. And I'll never forget the feeling when we get inside. We sit on the couch, and we're like, we have this living being that's now ours. And we look at each other, and we're like, we have no clue what we're doing. <laughs> We had plans. We have, uh, had ideas of what it was going to look like. But I don't think that little buffer period in the hospital helped because all of a sudden it was just us. I'm like, where's all the meals? Where, where, where's the people that, that are going to wheel him off so we can get some rest? And reality hit real quick. But, but that, that story aside, that ex- experience aside, looking at your life, you're aware of things right now that, that you're hoping you'll see come to pass. Plan, plans that, that, that you've made and and regardless of what your plans are, the good news is that God always has a plan. Do you believe that? God always has a plan. He's got a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. There's a, there's a verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, and this will kind of be our starting point tonight. Many of you know this. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Other, other versions say plans of, of good and not of evil, plans to, to prosper you and, and not to harm you. Um, but, but many people, like this is a life verse. How many would say this is probably one of your favorite verses in the Bible? And, and it's one of those verses where you get on Facebook and someone's made a cute little graphic with like mountains and flowers and that verse is there. Maybe, maybe your mom like wore a t-shirt that had that verse on it growing up or you have a magnet on your fridge. It's just one of those, it's one of those life verses. It's a, it's a great promise to know that we have a God who has a plan for us, and he wants good for us. But regardless of how many people claim that that would be their favorite verse, I think a lot of people probably don't fully understand that verse or, or, or what it's saying beyond just, just that, that one sentence. And so tonight I want to kind of go a little deeper into what was happening around this verse and what, what actually God is saying through this. Um, and, and I could pick... There's, there's a lot of verses that are famous verses by themselves that I think people maybe have incomplete understanding. And I don't want to go through and, and tackle all those. I'm not even going to say I, I, I know all that. But specifically tonight, I want to look at this one. And I'll say this. God, yes, God has a plan. God always has a plan. But his plan probably doesn't look like your plan. Have, have, you, have you all learned that by now? That, that there's been times where you've had a plan. You had a, a time frame in mind. You had ways that you thought something was going to pan out. And then God, he, he made good on his plan, but you realize, wow, that didn't really look quite how I planned. It took longer, or he took a different route, and it ends up being better. And, and when we get to that point and we see that his plan is better, we're like, why did we ever want our plan to begin with? But yet something else happens, and then we, we find ourselves um, 
wishing for our plan. And I, I think what happens is we read this verse with our plan in mind. And so we just take it and apply it to our life almost like God is going to pull off the thing that we're hoping for. You know what I mean? Like, like we're handing God our plan and he's going to pull it off. Um, and I think we need to read this verse with, with new eyes. And so here's, here, here's the title of my message tonight. It's called In the Process. Uh, in the process. We're, we're going to talk about being in the process. What, that process is God's plan. Um, and, and if you're going to understand God's plan and embrace God's plan, there's two things you have to get. And it's two P's here, okay? It's process and it's patience. Process and patience. Realizing that a process is usually involved, and because it doesn't look like your plan, it's probably going to involve patience on your part. But I promise you that it's worth it. It's worth exercising that patience in the process in exchange for laying down your plan and walking out the plan that God has for you. Now, let me, let me issue a kind of a word of caution. Um, there's a danger that comes with familiarity. You know what it's like to, to get familiar with something, someone or, or, or something. And when you get too familiar with that someone or something, a lot of times it can breed laziness. Uh, apathy can, can creep in. Um, discontent can creep in. You take something for granted. You've probably had that experience where maybe you were building a, a new house or you bought a new car or got some new clothes or new piece of technology or whatever it was. And at first you're like mesmerized. You're, you're so excited with this thing. But as time goes on and as you get used to it, you're, you're familiar with it, the excitement kind of wears off. And, it, and it's not what it once was to you. This is especially dangerous uh, in a marriage. And the married people said, amen. <laughs> where where you, um, you get familiar with each other. You know, you, there's, there's that, that period where, where people fall in love. And, and it's so great. I remember when Katie and I fell in love. And I remember my dad telling me growing up that love is blind, deaf, and dumb. But it never made sense till I look back on when we really fell in love. I'm like, we were probably so annoying to everyone around us because we were just, you're like goo-goo for each other and you block out everything else in the world around you. But when you fall in love, there's, you, you, you can't stop thinking about that person. You can't stop looking at them. You can't stop touching them. You can't stop talking to them. You, when you go to sleep at night, you can't fall asleep because you're thinking about that person. It's a, it's a great feeling. And, and maybe you're, you're in love with someone right now. Maybe you remember when, when you and your, uh, your, your spouse fell in love. Maybe you're praying this is the year that you find someone to fall in love with. But what happens is the puppy love phase passes. You get married, the, the, the honeymoon passes, and then start having kids, stuff changes, jobs change, schedules get busier. And, and the next thing you know, you're kind of just in the grind, kind of in the motions. And if you're not careful, familiarity creeps in and you, you get to a place where you stop doing what you did to get your spouse and you're kind of on autopilot. And it's a dangerous place to be. You, you can take that person for granted. And, and I think just because life goes on, just because the, the puppy love stage wears off, doesn't mean you stop pursuing that person. You should also be, always be working and, and trying to, to pursue that person and to wow them and to love them and to bless them. It's, it's just, you know, it's an important thing to be intentional in that way. So you're, you're probably saying, well, what, what are you talking about with familiarity? I want to go to a passage in Mark chapter 6. Uh, this is something that happened with Jesus. We'll read verses 1 through 6. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, Get this, 
He said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Okay? He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And so Jesus, he's, he's come back home. He's, he's ministering. And, and people at first are kind of amazed. And they say, wait a minute. Wait, wait. This is, this is Jesus. You know, the boy. He, he grew up here. Joseph and Mary's son. The carpenter. We, we know Jesus. And, and, and there was a, a level of familiarity involved. And, and so the, then it says he could do no mighty work there. All right? Now, this is not to say that Jesus' ability subsided. Uh, the, to, to say his ability subsided would be to deny him the fact that he was God in flesh. It wasn't that he couldn't do miracles or do what he came to do, but there was a lack of expectation on the people's part. There was a level of familiarity that caused them to not really revere or have all or expectation for who Jesus was and what he came to do. And so because of that, he didn't really have anything to work with. Y'all, y'all, y'all remember a few weeks ago where I said that uh, expectation is the breeding ground for miracles during our healing service. That usually where there is a, a miracle or a breakthrough or God moves in a big way, it's usually preceded by expectation on our part. By prayer on our part, by, by, by exercising some form of faith, we're giving Jesus something to work with. And I think because of a familiarity, the people there just weren't really expecting Jesus to do anything. And so I, I say all this in regards to familiarity to really boil it down to this. Many of our misunderstandings about Scripture happen because we get too familiar with a passage to look at it with fresh eyes. You've probably heard Jeremiah twenty nine eleven countless times. You claim it's your, your favorite verse. You've got it memorized. You, you, you maybe got a, a bumper sticker, whatever. You know the verse, right? But because you're so familiar with it, and, and maybe it's another scripture, you know, there's probably a lot of scriptures. We, we know the word, but, but we get so familiar that we stop looking at it with fresh eyes. We stop digging deeper. We kind of take it to mean what it's always meant to us. And we don't really uh, dig around and, and find what was God saying to this. Saying, God, show me this with, with, with fresh eyes. And just as in marriage, we don't stop the pursuit just because life goes on and you have kids and stuff changes. You, you still pursue. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. The same thing is true with Scripture. That just because you're a believer, just because you're, you're going to heaven, just because you know that verse doesn't mean you stop pursuing more. You guys are quiet. I, I bragged on y'all. Y'all are the midweek crew that I said made my job easy. <laughs> you don't stop the pursuit. And so boiling that back to, to, the, to the key verse, I'll, I'll show you in a second. We're going to kind of get into what was going on in Jeremiah. But this is really why context is important, why we read Scripture and context and not just memorize standalone uh, verses. Because what happens is there's a lot of verses we know, but if we have an incomplete understanding of that verse— then when we pray it out over our life and we feel God doesn't answer in the way we thought he should, it's not because he didn't hold true on his promise. It's not because his word wasn't true. It's because we had an improper understanding or we t- even twisted scripture to fit our agenda or, or, or to fit our belief. How many of y'all, you've, you've been feeling a certain way. Say you were, you were looking for joy, okay? You were you're focused on joy. And so you get on the computer and you Google scriptures on joy. Come on, how many have done that? Maybe not joy, maybe it's anger, peace, whatever. You go, scripture's on, fill in the blank. And, and, and always, there's all these results, and, and yes, they all contain that word. 
but rarely ever do we read the full chapter or do we dig deeper, look into commentary and see like what was going on. We just take that one thing and use it to kind of fit what we were, what we were looking for. We hear what we want to hear. So I want to I share two special words with you tonight. This will be our systematic theology lesson of the night. Uh, two words, exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis and eisegesis. And it's not Jesus like J-E-S-U-S. You can see the spelling there. Exegesis. This is the important one. This is when we read scripture to draw out truth from that scripture. This is when we don't just look at one line of scripture and take it for what it is, but we read it in different translations. We read it in the original Greek or Hebrew. We, we, we pull on commentary. We, we read the, the full book in context so that we can have proper understanding of what God was saying through the passage. It's not reading scripture. Go ahead and leave that up there. Exegesis is not leaving scripture, uh, reading it to uh, bring about your own interpretation, but it's reading it to bring about clarity in the voice of God. Now, eisegesis, that's really what a lot of us maybe have been guilty of or how we approach scripture. This is when we kind of incorporate our own ideas um, or we, we look for passages, like I said, to, to kind of fit our, our, our belief or, or what it is that we're looking for. That's why context is so important. Um, that, that we're not reading scripture just to confirm our, our already established presuppositions. Y- y'all know what selective hearing is? None of the guys just heard me. But <laughs> I, as a husband, I, I have selective hearing at times. I'll, I'll hear certain things she says, and then she'll say something right after that that I don't even hear. But hey, wives get selective hearing too. Um, I have two toddlers. Well, actually, no, I have a five-year-old and a, how old are my kids? Five and two, they're about to be six and three. So I, I have a five-year-old and a toddler. I've, I've had toddlers. Toddlers have selective hearing. We've all been guilty at time where we are so focused on one thing that we don't hear anything else except that one thing. And a lot of times that's how we approach scripture. We're so just focusing on one scripture or one word or one thing that we're looking for that once we get that, we miss everything else around it. Reminds me of a story that I heard recently. There's this drifter and he, he's going from town to town. It's been a few days and uh, he hasn't had a meal. He's getting hungry. He's tired. And so he comes into this small town. And as he walks in, he sees this nice home up on the hill. So he goes up, goes up the hill, up the pathway, and, and knocks on the door. And a man answers the door. He said, can I help you? And uh, he said, yeah. He said, I, I'm kind of traveling from town to town. I don't really have a place to stay. I'm tired. I'm actually pretty hungry. And I was wondering if you could help me get a meal. And so, so the man says to him, he says, well, I've, I've been successful. I've, I've kind of built my fortune on the principle that you never give away anything for free. He said, so if you're willing to, to work for it um, and, and earn it, then yeah, I'd be happy to help you. I'll be happy to feed you. And so the guy said, absolutely. He said, I'm, I'm just hungry. He said, all right. He said, uh, go around the back. I've got some cans of, of fresh paint. I've got a clean brush and I want you to paint my porch. Uh, top to bottom, paint it all around. I've been meaning to paint my porch. Go back there and do that. And when you're done, Come back to the front door, and I'll, and I'll invite you in, and we, and we can eat. And he said, okay. So he goes out there. Not an hour later, he's back at the front door knocking. The owner comes and says, are you done already? He said, yeah, I am. He said, all right, come on in. Food's ready. So they sit down, and they're, they're having dinner. And he says, thank you so much again. He goes, oh, well, thank you. Thank you for painting the porch. He goes, oh, but I have to let you know, it's not a Porsche. It's a BMW. So, Some of y'all maybe got that. Some of you will be still thinking about it tomorrow morning. The guy was so focused on a meal, he didn't really hear everything that the, that the owner was saying. And sometimes we get so focused on what we want that we miss what God is saying. We have selective scripture reading. All right, enough. Let's get back on track. 
Back to where we started, Jeremiah 29, 11. I think in order to understand Jeremiah 29, we've got to back up and we've got to read, really, really the book of Jeremiah, but for the sake of time and the sake of what I want to communicate tonight, we're going to back up to chapter 28. Okay, and just to kind of paint the scene here for you, kind of give you some context, um, there, there's two prophets here that are, that are talking. There's the prophet Jeremiah, who represents the voice of God. He's been sent by God. He's speaking on his behalf. And then there's the prophet Hananiah, who claims to represent the voice of God. And so they're having this discussion, and they're standing really amongst, if you can picture, like ruins, like rubble, like the, the temple has been destroyed. The Babylonians have come in, destroyed the temple, taken the Jewish people, taken all their belongings into captivity, and now here's these two prophets. And um, let's pause there and let's look at your own life. Maybe right now your situation, you're standing amongst some rubble. You're standing amongst some ruins. You're, you're looking around and see there's some things that have been taken from you, someone who's left your life. A lot of it doesn't make sense. You're thinking, how will this be restored? How will this uh, be fixed? And so you've got a plan. You've got an idea. You've probably got a timetable of how you want that to be fixed and what you want God to do. And so just, just keep that in mind. But Jeremiah, throughout this book, he kind of faces opposition um, from others who claim to represent the voice of God. We, we've all been there where we're struggling to hear the voice of God. And there's so many voices in our culture. There's so many fleeting thoughts on our own part, our own desires, ambitions, misreading scripture, reading other things other than the word of God, where we've got all these voices vying for our attention. And sometimes it's hard to hear the voice of God. So this story really can reflect your situation, maybe the, the ruins that you're in right now or, or, or your struggle to hear the voice of God. So let's pick up. We're going to go to Jeremiah 28, picking up in verse 2. And this is Hananiah talking. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. And he says this, Within two years I will break or I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So let's pause there. Essentially, Hananiah has said, yeah, this is what God's going to do. He's going to restore all this in two years. So that, that's, that's the claim he makes standing there in the, in the temple. So Jeremiah pipes in, says, Then Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, the prophet, in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you've prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of the people and said, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. And so he, he, he says it again. Two years this restoration is going to happen. So Jeremiah goes his way. In verse 12, it says, Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah, uh, the, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah said to Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust and a lie. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Okay, so let's pause right there. First of all, God means business. Um, So Hananiah makes this claim twice. God is saying he's going to restore all this in two years. Everything's going to be fixed, two years. Jeremiah says, yes, I'm praying for the same thing. I I hope for that restoration. I believe that God will do it. But he ultimately calls him out and says, you do not represent the voice of the Lord. And because of it, Hananiah was was held accountable. And so as we pause there between the chapters, let me just ask again, what voices have you been listening to? Have you, have you been in a place of confusion because you're listening to your own? Are you listening to other people? Have you made your own plans that you're so fixated on this restoration period or process that you're missing the fact that God already has a plan that he's already working out in your life? Think about that. So let's go to, now we're in chapter 29. Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, we're going to pick up in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now it's verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Um, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back into the place from which I sent you into exile. So how long, how long did, did Jeremiah just prophesy? Seventy. Two. Seventy. A lot of times in our life, like, like if we were, whatever your situation is, whatever process you're in right now, how many, if, if, if someone said, do you want this fixed in two years or 70 years, what would you say? <laughs> two years. Go Hananiah, right? <laughs> and, and here's what happens is Jeremiah, as he's, as he's writing here, he says, while you're in captivity, he says, I want, you to, I want you to thrive. I want you to have families. I want you to plant crops. I want you to do life. And, 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 and I don't take this to mean that you embrace the struggle, you embrace the pain, you embrace the, the, the heartache of whatever process you're in. But really what happens is so often we're so focused on our plan and what we think God should do in, in, in our time frame that we're so fixated on what's next, we miss out on the life we're living right now. We miss out on the plan that God is already working out right now. We're missing out on the process. And and what Jeremiah is saying is be planted where you are. Thrive where you are. Shelf your ideas and embrace the fact that God is going to fix this in his time. And he's going to take care of you right where you're at. Okay, that's huge for us. 
And so what I would ask you is, have you been in the process of Hananiah or in the process of Jeremiah? Are you, are you listening to you and your plans or are you fully surrendering and saying, you know what? I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know what all this looks like when it's all fixed and restored. But I'm willing to lay down my plan and my idea to trust God in this process. That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Because here's what we do. We tend to greatly overestimate what God wants to do in the short run. And we greatly underestimate what he wants to do in the long run. God, God, God's, he, he, you, you, you don't rush God. He's not in a hurry. He's got it all together. And I promise you that his plan is far beyond anything you could ever come up with, anything you could ever achieve or, or, or conceive. And so we, because we like immediacy and we, and we like things now the way we want it, we're, we're, we're so urgent, we overestimate a lot of times what God is going to do in the short run. And, and we don't give him any credit for the huge plan he wants to unveil in the long run. I've, I've been guilty of that. There's been times where, where I'm dealing with something and I want it fixed now. And I think God should do it now. And, and, I, and when, when I get on the other side of that, it's like, wow, I totally underestimated what God was doing through that and how he showed himself more than faithful. And I wish I had just trusted his timing and his ways all along. So in your process, where you're at right now, you say, okay, I, I'm willing to, to, to put aside my Hananiah approach. I'm willing to lay aside my, my timeline or my ways. But as I wait on God, as I'm trusting God, what is my part? What do I do? See, we, we are, are, are so self-sufficient sometimes that we are always thinking. We're always planning. We're always trying to fix stuff. We're always trying to play God. And so when we're not doing anything, sometimes it kind of stresses you out. You feel like you should be doing something. You, you, you know, like, like peace, like, like not worrying. Jesus says over and over in the New Testament, don't worry. But yet we still always find ourselves back at a place of worry. And he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Why do we worry? It's because it's, it's we're trying to busy ourselves and come up with a solution. And so what is our part? What is our part? What is your part? Your part is not to play God. Your part is to seek God. Your part is not to play God. It's not to, to be God. Your part, your job in this process is to seek God. I want to go back to what I think is the most powerful part of this passage, the, 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 the part we should be paying the most attention to, skip beyond 11, skip 12, go to verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We get so busy playing God we get so busy trying to fix stuff, trying to rush things, trying to be someone that we forget to seek the one who's in control. We forget to seek the one who's got this process, the, the, the one who created everything and is fully capable of showing himself faithful in your situation. And your future, your, your restoration, your plan, whatever God has in store for you is directly tied to your relationship with him. And that relationship, your relationship, flows from seeking him with all of your heart. So when we're running busy, when we're trying to solve everything on our own, we miss out on the very simple practice of seeking him with all of our heart. Our part is not to play God. Our part is to seek God. John Piper, he said this. He said, you weren't meant to be somebody. You were meant to know somebody. 
You weren't meant to be somebody. You know, everyone's trying to be somebody. Everyone's trying to to be noticed and be recognized and accomplished. And, And that's good and it has its place. But that can't be our emphasis. That can't be our focus. We were created to know somebody. And, 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 you know, I don't know what process you're in. You're, you're fully aware of the things you're facing. You're fully aware of the journey you're walking out, the, the things that have, maybe you're well into this process. Maybe it just started. Maybe you're, you're, you're victorious and, you, and God just totally has done something incredible in your life. But maybe your process, um, maybe you're in a process for healing. Maybe you're, you're in the process of, uh, of restoration in a relationship or in a family. Maybe the process you're walking out is the, uh, getting out of debt, getting your finances in order. Maybe you're, you're in the process of, of, of breaking an addiction, breaking a stronghold in your life. Maybe the process for you is, is you're, you're just trying to find the one. You, you, you've dated, you've trusted God, you've prayed, you've done all these things, and you feel like, why am I still single? And that's a process that at times is hard to walk out. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe you, you desire nothing greater than to have a child, and, and you're in this process, and it's hard to see you know, what, what is God's timing? What, what is his answer? And, and we want to try to figure it out all on our own. I don't know what, what process you're in. But what I can say is this, that God has got the process. He, he's got the plan. He's going to show himself faithful. And your part is just to be patient. Your part is to seek him in this time. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon's writing. And it is a very famous passage, and he, he opens up and, 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 and compares a lot of things. There's a time to, to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to uh, sow and reap, weep, laugh. Uh, there's a time for war. There's a time for peace. He goes on and names a bunch of things. There's a time for everything under the sun. You've, you've probably heard the song, uh, you know, uh, is it by the birds? The who? Okay, you guys are older than me, so you're going to have to help me out here. <laughs> My mom raised me on the good stuff, though. So he, he makes all these comparisons. Uh, there's a time for everything. But then in verse 11, he says this, God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so really w- what this means is that while there's a time for all things, God is the one who established these times. It's, it's not our job to, to manipulate the timetable or try to rush things, slow things down. God, the creator of time, he's got it, and he establishes these times. And so here's the biggest thing that I want to leave you with. In Psalm 1-3, it said, he is like a tree. Who's like a tree? The, the, the blessed man, the, the, the patient man, the man who's pursuing God, trusting in God, who's pursuing righteousness. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields fruit when? In its season. That it will yield fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now think about a tree. It's not instantly big and strong and, and blooming and bearing all this fruit. No, it starts very small. It starts as a seed, right? Seed that goes into the ground. You don't see it for a while. And then it starts to sprout, but it doesn't just immediately overnight become this big tree. It grows. It has to establish roots. It has to, to you know, it, it, it takes, it, there's a process involved. And parts of those process, that tree is ugly. Parts of the, that process, that tree is bare. Parts of that process, that tree has to be pruned or cut back in order that it may bear new fruit. But that tree yields fruit in its season. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And what I want you to know is that your season is coming. Your process 
is not over. His word will be fulfilled in your life. You will bear fruit. Restoration is coming. Freedom is coming. And it's so easy to get off track and want to push forward and see what it all looks like and feel like we're the ones that are accomplishing it. But I want to encourage you to just stop. Step back. Don't rush the process. Embrace it. And like Jeremiah said, establish yourself where you're at. Thrive where you're at. Trust God where you're at. Don't stop living. Don't stop enjoying life now just because you don't see how it's all going to play out. Live the life that he's given you. Trust that he's in control. Embrace the process and watch how he shows himself faithful as you walk out that process. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Let me, I just want to do something, just a little exercise, a little response. You know, I think the goal of anything that we get up here and share, any, any truth of God's word, the goal is ultimately life change, right? Like what good is it if it doesn't produce change in our life? So the key to life change really is application. You know, I've sat under sermons before or heard a teaching or, or, or something, and it's like, what did they even say? It was so over your head or it didn't make sense or you couldn't apply it. And so my goal is to, whatever I share, I just want it to be something that you guys can apply to your life so that you can see change somewhere because of it. And that's not, because, that's not me. I, I, my biggest thing is I want to get out of the way. I want God to, to speak through me uniquely to where you're at so that you can apply something to your life and see change because of it. And so um, I want to do something tonight. Actually, I'm teaching next week too, and I, I've got another little exercise response that, that, that I want to do. But for tonight, I want you to just close your eyes, bow your heads, kind of put your hands out in front of you as if you're, you're, you're receiving from God. And I want you to truly kind of size up your situation right now. Probably won't take long because you, you, you're aware of the things going on in life. You know what, you, what you've been carrying. And what is that process? What is that immediate process right now that seems to be taking longer? It's not two years. It seems like it's been taking 70 years. You're, you're, you're not really seeing your, your fix coming to pass and you're wondering where God is at in this. And I want you to ask yourself, what are the voices I've been listening to? And, and have I been approaching this from, from, from the stance of Jeremiah or Hananiah? Am I trying to do this my way or am I surrendering and I'm doing this God's way? And I think for most of us tonight, if we stop and we're honest with ourselves, we realize, as Pastor Tim said earlier this evening, we sometimes try to carry stuff that's too heavy to carry. And the reason it's too heavy is because we weren't meant to carry it. And so I want you right now, between you and God, you don't got to say anything. You don't got to do anything. I just want you to decide in your heart that you're going to draw a line in the sand. And tonight, you're going to lay those things down and say, I surrender my process. I surrender my plan. I surrender my ideas. I surrender the way I think this should happen, my timetable, all of that. And I trust that the God who created all, the God who is a restorer, the God who's been faithful time and again, he has a plan and he is going to perfect it in my life. I just want to sit here just for a moment, just in silence, as you kind of make that decision, resolve that within yourself between you and God tonight. Lay it down. Surrender it, whatever it is. You're not meant to carry it. No matter how great you think your fix would be, no matter how much more your timing seems to make sense, right now, Say, God, I surrender it. I embrace this process, and I trust you, my faithful Father.
God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are more than enough. We thank you that when we feel like we're not enough or we don't have enough or we can't do enough, you're more than enough, which means that we have everything we need. We're equipped to do everything that you've called us to do. We are never alone. We are never without help. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Every one of your promise returns true in our life. God, help us to see your your word with with clear eyes, with fresh eyes. Help us to to study the scriptures for for understanding and for clarity and to hear the voice of God, to look through through the the words of your written word and they would jump off the page at us, that we would see your faithfulness throughout scripture, throughout the the establishment of the church, throughout leading all the way up to now where we're at in in our lives with our real deal everyday issues that we're facing. Realize that you're faithful and that what you What you said in scripture holds true to us today. We can apply it to our life. That you are a a faithful, faithful God and and you are timeless. So if you said something, you mean it. Reveal those things to us tonight. Help us as we leave here to truly surrender, to surrender in this process and to be committed to walking out your plan. That we weren't meant to be somebody. We were meant to know somebody. Our job is not to play God, but our job is to seek you Father God. We thank you for this. Pray that as we leave tonight that you would be with us. You help us at everything we set our hand to. I speak peace to every home represented, every person, every every need, every family, every relationship. God, we trust you and we thank you that you're with us as we head back out into our week. We give you the praise for all that you've done and Lord, as I said at the beginning, I'll say it again now. I pray that you were pleased and that your people were helped. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. If you believe that, say amen. And amen. Well, we love you. God bless you. We uh, hope to see you Sunday. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.